I'm pleased to welcome Audio-Technica back as presenting partner for Season 5 of Let's Talk About Sects. Audio-Technica's support has allowed this podcast to continue to grow, and their equipment is a huge reason why it sounds great. 60 years ago, Hideo Matsushita established Audio-Technica in a small flat in Shinjuku, Tokyo. Today, you can experience his legacy with affordable audio equipment to help with working from home, content creation, and if you're like me, getting the best out of your vinyl collection. Find out more at audio-technica.com and use promo code LTAS10 if you're in Australia to get a discount and support this show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk about sects, listeners. We'll likely be familiar with Gloria Vell from our two-part episode about the cult released in April 2021. You might remember me discussing a couple of documentaries about the community with Liz Gregory of the Gloria Vale Leavers Support Trust. Well, I'm pleased to say that there's a new documentary that's already been released in New Zealand to much acclaim and is coming to Australian cinemas soon. I think you'll be interested in what the filmmakers have to say about Gloria Vale. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we get into this episode, a content warning. This podcast deals with issues that some people may find disturbing, related to trauma, emotional abuse, and controlling behaviours. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening to. When widespread abuse is uncovered at a New Zealand cult, a family must turn to the legal system in an effort to save themselves and their community from the all-powerful leaders. Filmmakers Noel Smith and Fergus Grady documented the impact of the civil action and of the cult itself. Their gripping expose on New Zealand's most infamous and secretive religious group, founded by Australian evangelist Neville Cooper, has quickly become New Zealand's highest-grossing local documentary. You can catch the filmmakers at Adelaide Film Festival from the 22nd of October, following which they'll be doing special Q&A screenings across Australia before the film releases in cinemas nationally on November the 3rd. I expect international listeners will be able to see it soon enough as well. The film is a devastating look at the fallout from Gloria Vale's highly controlling environment. It follows former member John Reddy, who was kicked out of the community and had to leave his beloved wife and 12 children behind. Barristers Brian Henry and Dennis Gates are litigating a civil case against Gloria Vale, assisted by human rights expert Steve Patterson, and John Reddy agrees to be a plaintiff. As we learn about John's story and that of his sister Virginia, 
Their mother, Sharon Reddy, who still lives at Gloria Vale, also agrees to speak on camera. Gloria Vale, New Zealand's secret cult, lays out the abuses with former and current community members at its centre and paints a very different picture to the idyllic Christian community that the shepherds of Gloria Vale would have you believe lives in harmony in the Hapiri Valley. Noel Smith and Fergus Grady were kind enough to talk to me about their new film for the podcast. So first of all, congratulations on the film. What a huge achievement. Can you tell me about its reception in New Zealand? So thank you for having um, both Noel and myself on the podcast. When we got funded, I think the funding agencies were a bit worried about our, you know, oversaturation of the story. But, you know, Noel and I were able to tell a, an interesting angle <clears throat> on the Gloria Vale saga that's been going on for a long time. But the reception, I think, was quite confronting for a lot of people. A New Zealand New Zealanders have a sort of perception of this kind of weird, kooky commune place in the west coast of the South Island. And they may have heard snippets of media reports and investigations, but until they sat down and watched the film, a lot of them were quite confronted with damning evidence um, that we present in the film. But the reception's been great. I mean, we sold out sessions all over the country. I was able to um, be on the road with not only Virginia and John, but also Sharon, who we had ticked off quite a few firsts for her in the North Island, eating yum char and dumplings and being on an escalator and all these new things for her, which was really fun. And everyone loved her. She's a superwoman in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll talk a little bit about her in a, in a moment. Noel, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Uh, just just that what, I think what was most rewarding for me was seeing the reception that we had with actual leavers and ex-members from the community you know, this a story like this is always confronting and there's a lot of trauma that, that people are still dealing with and they'll be dealing with for a long time. But, you know, everyone that came along to the screenings and that we spoke to just had glowing reviews about it. And um, so that, that was particularly rewarding to see after such a, you know, you make these things in isolation a little bit and, and then just hope that people will kind of, yeah, be on the same wavelength and enjoy it um, or at least find some kind of uh, catharsis through it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And um, I've, you know, I've, I've been aware that this film is coming for a while now and it's been great to see from this side of the pond, the reception in, in New Zealand looks like it's been fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to it releasing in Australia for Australians to take a look at it too. And um, many of the listeners of this podcast will be familiar with Gloria Valve because we did a two-part episode about the group. But for those who might not have heard it yet, can you just tell me a little bit about what Gloria Vale Christian Community is? Yeah. they're um, So the Gloria Vale Christian Community are a New Testament community um, based on the South Island, west coast of the South Island in New Zealand, and they have about 600 members. They've been going for about 50 years. And it was started, founded by an Australian evangelist um, named Neville Cooper, who later changed his name to Hopeful Christian. And he's since passed away, but, um, you know, you could do a whole episode on on his, you know, horrible kind of 
things that he's done over over his lifetime but but now that the community sort of finds itself in this um troubling time where there's a lot of cracks starting to form and um people are starting to wake up a little bit and and question more and the leaders haven't uh, the the leaders haven't been able to maintain the same level of control that Neville Cooper did and and so yeah for you know for us being on the outside it's it's great to see that people are starting to question now you know some of these teachings that they've been taught their whole life and and which is a, a huge thing because there's you know three generations in there of families and and all get taught you know brought up being taught that the outside world is evil and if you ever leave glory vale you'll you know you 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 go to hell and you know anyone that leaves glory vale you have to treat them like they're they're dead to you and you know it it just it's a community that just tears apart families unless unless they toe the line and follow the you know every teaching to the dot and how did you first come across the story and realize that there was a a feature doc in it so we were approached by steve patterson who's the human rights lawyer working on behalf of a number of plaintiffs and ex-members of the community and at the time i was living in melbourne uh about to enter the second lockdown in june 2020 and grew up in New Zealand, made the decision to come home and got out of hotel quarantine and pretty much that week headed down to Gloraville. Met John Reddy, who's our one of our main characters. And, yeah, rang Noel. Uh, Noel had been on the phone with Steve and just said, this is a very compelling story. I'm not sure how wide this audience is, but there is an audience for cult doc- documentaries and... Yeah, proceeded to start uh, filming with with John initially a couple of weeks later. And as Noel referred to, he sort of made this film in isolation. So Noel was going through lockdowns three and four, I think, and had a break uh, from Melbourne lockdown and was able to get across and spend a lot of time with Virginia and Sharon. So we kind of split up the film uh, that way. And, yeah, it's culminated in... Uh, I think a really strong, powerful piece, and Noel and I sort of managed to piece it together through through me being in New Zealand and Noel being able to get across twice. Yeah. In the start, like getting that call from Steve at the start was well, just so interesting at the time because uh, you know I'm I'm an Australian based here and I I knew nothing about Gloryvale or this this huge cult, you know, right across the pond and. Um, yeah, and then as soon as we started sort of researching, we we're like, "Well, there's there's definitely got to be something here." And you know, the the trick for us is always just you know who are the characters or who are the subjects or the people that we can follow that are just going to have you know the most compelling stories that we can that we can follow and then tell the the wider story and of of the issues going on. And yeah, as soon as um, you know, I remember seeing the footage come back of John that, you know, that initial trip that Fergus did was sort of meant to be just a research trip, but the footage they got was just so powerful and so strong that we knew there was a definitely bigger story there and, and great access, great subjects to tell it. Mm, yeah, John John was a fantastic subject, very sort of 
relatable, you know, pretty easy on camera. But I also understand you filmed with quite a small crew to make sure that everyone did feel pretty comfortable all the time. And I think this is where I want to come back to Sharon Reddy, which like it, it's amazing to me that you managed to find a current resident of Gloria Vale who was willing to speak with you and also able to speak with you. I, as someone who's looked at Gloria Vale quite a lot, I had no idea that this would be an option. And mm. indeed, Sharon, as of when the documentary finished production, remained in there against the will of the leadership. And I wondered how that actually worked in practice because I think you mentioned that they had um, – locked the door to her room and had told her they weren't going to provide her with food anymore. So how was she actually managing to remain in the community? Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's so complicated in there. Like they, you know, there's no locked gates. So technically people can leave, but because they've been brought up there their whole life thinking that the outside world is evil, you know, there's huge, barriers to overcome uh before you even decide to take that step and then and then people don't have networks outside either so they come out with nothing they don't know anyone it's a really daunting process and that's slowly starting to change now as as more sort of support networks get set up on the outside but but yeah with with Sharon she'd gone through this sort of process where she was starting to um uh well, I think she'd questioned the leaders in the community for a long time, but she spent her whole life there. She didn't want to leave. She doesn't want to leave because she's got so much family still there. And basically the the leaders were, you know, because she was starting to question things and starting to cause trouble that they basically they locked her, locked her out of her room one day and told her that she had to go. And... Um, and for anybody else that, you know, up until that point, you know, they they would just go without question. They say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's the leader's will. I have to go. But Sharon being the amazing woman she is, she sort of, you know, called Steve and Steve Patterson and and asked whether there was anything they could do. And, and he said, no, actually, you're, you know, you're a, you're a member, you're a beneficiary of this community they can't just kick you out you have to will, you have to willfully leave so until you sign yourself out you're a you're a member of the community and so she basically you know stood up against these group of shepherds the the male leaders and said no i'm not going to leave and you know has her and her husband clam have come under a lot of uh well, they're basically treated like outcasts there. So they still live on the property, but they're they're definitely, you know, yeah, treated as outcasts. Yeah, and I think to give the the listeners a bit of a concept about how incredible this is, I think it's important to also kind of recognize the incredibly heavily patriarchal setup in Gloria Vale. So for a woman to even be standing up to these shepherds who really teach that women shouldn't have a voice at all is quite incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Sharon, Sharon is the, like just the most amazing woman to, to see the change that we've seen over these, the few years that we've been following the story, seeing the change in her was the just phenomenal. Like I remember when we Fergus first 
met her and we were talking about how great it would be to get her on camera and and we just thought oh there's you know yeah it'd be amazing but it'll be impossible you know the the when Fergus first met her she you know and even when I first met her she you know she's got very hunched shoulders um very meek you know sort of bends over into a ball, never avoids eye contact or all these little telltale signs of a life just sort of lived under the thumb of, of the shepherds. And um, to see where she's got to now has, it's just mind blowing. You know, she, she's taking, taking on the leadership and, and um, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing journey to watch. Mm, yeah. Really incredible. And you did attempt to gain access to film within the community and it became apparent that this wouldn't be possible. And I wondered if you could tell me a bit about your attempts and how that played out. Yeah, we we knew it would. We had very little hope for getting access at the start. So we we always knew it would be like the slimmest of chances if we ever did get access. But yeah, basically at the start when we when we decided, okay, let's let's go for it, we we reached out to the shepherds to um you know, tell them we were making a documentary and could we could we get access to the community and we'd like to interview them and blah blah blah. And they we didn't hear back from them, it was just sort of radio silence. And then so we left it until the Basically, once we knew, once we knew what was going in the film, when we had a sort of rough, a rough cut there, where we knew the allegations and the story that we were we were telling, uh, we reached out again, and you know, at this point, because we were on their radar by now, had a little bit of a, a back and forth, uh, but they just dropped off, and it sort of went radio silence again, and then yeah, and then so we we pushed ahead and and now the film's out there so yeah it it it'd be interesting to to know whether they they will watch it or whether they'll just ignore it they they've got a history of sort of just sticking their heads in the sand for a for a lot of these things and i think they just they just want to live in their own little private patriarchal world and and not follow the laws of new zealand mm-hmm as a contrast, I'm thinking about the previous Glory of L documentaries, A World Apart and The Return, which I'm assuming that you would have watched in a research phase for this documentary. Five minutes was enough for me. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a documentary. I think it insults the form of documentary. But um, we've had our own you know, bone to pick with, with those filmmakers, so prefer not to talk about it on the show but um yeah there's yes, been yeah, a lot I, of- I don't want to I don't want to like push you into talking about that at all and to make anything uh, controversial but I would say from my perspective I I felt that those films portrayed Gloria Vale as just a kind of a different and harmonious way of life I I watched them when I was researching Gloria Vale and it almost caused me to think oh well this isn't anything that I need to cover or look into until I started reading further, of course. Mm. And I, I think that in most instances, gaining access to a group like this usually needs to come with an understanding that you are only going to be shown what the leaders want you to see. And so in that respect, the secret audio recording that former leadership member Zion Pilgrim took of his meeting with the Shepherds is something that outsiders would never have been able to experience otherwise. And so I thought 
I, I, I really wondered what you thought when you first listened to that recording. Oh, that, that was a, a breakthrough moment for us when, you know, I was, when I was interviewing Zion and at that point I didn't know that he had a recording of that. And, yeah, as soon as he mentioned uh, I recorded one of the Shepherds meetings, it was sort of my, my eyes lit up and, you know, we tracked it down. But, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. It's my favourite scene in the film and um, every time I hear you know, I've watched it so many times now and I'm so angry. Every time you hear it, it just makes you more angry and they're, they're just such small things. But I think for, for when the audience hears it, you know, they you start to build a picture in your mind of these people and and the the you know how the community operates and um, yeah, it's just it's, it's horrible to see. But it was it was a breakthrough moment because we didn't know how we were going to show you know or, or portray the the shepherds. And it's one thing to hear John and Virginia and Sharon talk about the mistreatment that they that everybody suffers at the hands of the leadership. But it's a whole other thing to finally hear the leaders' voices, you know, just berating these these members and you know not letting them get a word in and all sorts of stuff. Mm. And speaking of getting a word in, I, I rudely interrupted you before, Fergus. I wanted to check whether there was anything else you wanted to say. No, and I think just just talking about the public perception of of Glorivale, I think that those two. TV shows you mentioned have altered and changed the public's perception. And we see it a lot in our uh, Facebook or social media comments on our posts where half the audience say, leave them alone and not harming anyone. And I think those are the loyal viewers that have watched that show. And then half of them are like, well, look at the facts of what's coming out in the court cases. And, you know, as a Kiwi, it's kind of, yeah, it's sad that, there's a lot of ignorance, but, you know, we've been deep diving on the subject matter for two years. So, yeah, the film hopefully will inform people and it'll be on a major broadcast TV show, TV station next year. So hopefully that will have some further impact on public perception of, of what Gloria Bell is truly. Mm, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's complicated as well because inside it, there's such a class system inside Gloria Vale that even inside Glory Vale, there's a lot of families that don't see this side of Glory Vale. So, you know, for some families living inside there, it is a paradise because they're on top of the world or whatever. But but for the families at the bottom and the people that are suffering and it's, you know, it's 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 horrible. And I think I, I, that's changing now that a lot more information's coming out, like uh, people that was may have been ignorant about it before are starting to to get more information kind of into the community and, and to hear more about what's going on and then that's causing them to question more things. But, um, yeah, I think for a long time there's just, you know, the leadership have controlled the, the flow of information in and out and, um, yeah, it's been taking a long time for that to start changing. Mm-hmm. And seeing as you you couldn't get access into the community to film, I understand that you you found out that there was some home video footage that you had access to, and that must have been amazing to discover. Yeah, also 
another huge breakthrough moment. I was filming with Virginia and she, it was my first day, I think, meeting or maybe not my first day meeting Virginia, but my first day sort of hanging out with her in, in her home and doing an interview. And she just casually mentioned, oh, yeah, we've got, you know, these family videos somewhere. And, and my eyes lit up again because, um, you know, that it's quite rare for people inside Gloria Vale to have access to home, you know, family videos and stuff like that because they don't. I don't have an abundance of technology, but uh, the Reddy family, Virginia's dad, one of his roles in the community was filming events and, and, and that sort of thing. So, so they did have access to a camera. And, um, and that was huge because we, again, we going into it without access inside, like without being able to go in and film, we weren't sure how we were going to, you know, portray life, daily life inside, and and um, finding out that the Reddies had home home footage was just amazing, and and also perfect for the type of film that that we wanted to make. Where this is an it's an intimate family story, and and um, having their own family videos just um, yeah, just added so much to that and then painted this backdrop of daily life inside Glory Vale. Mm. And with with the documentary format, you chose a more observational format without narration or inserting yourselves very much as directors or interviewers. So I wondered if you could tell me about why you took that approach. That's, that's the sort of style that Noel and I are interested in. I don't think we like overproduced studio sort of lit sit-down interviews. I mean, preferably if we can make a whole film with without a sit-down interview, that's, that's our goal. But, you know, our previous film was following six people walk a 800-kilometre track, so that was easier. And this was a bit more contained. And, you know, John lives on the edge, of, was, was living on the edge of the property. Uh, we had to work around his dairy farming schedule, which was, yeah, pretty difficult. Um, Virginia lived sort of six hours, I want to say, five hours away from Gloryville. And, yeah, Noel was able to manage to convince uh, Sharon to come out of Gloryville for, for a really important sit-down interview. So, yeah, I think our style is, is definitely observational, unintrusive, just letting the camera watch the world unfold. And, and the world did unfold. You know, we, we had so many different legal dramas and personal dramas that happened through production um, that it all kind of worked out really well for us and we were able to release the film just before this big employment, uh, female plaintiff employment case that's currently, well, halfway through, I think. It's going to finish up in February. So, yeah, quite quite fortunate with timing. Brave to, to follow a you know an unfolding legal case as it happens. You don't know how it's going to play out. There's certain limitations around what you can show uh, in terms of the the legalities of it. Can you tell me a bit about about that? Yeah, uh, yeah. It was a little bit little bit brave, a little bit naive, maybe as well. <laughs> I think we, you know, this this was our first experience telling a or following a legal story like this, and so we've learned a lot about the uh the legal process and and whatnot but it's it's kind of you know it's a it's a challenge but i think any kind of documentary just has so many challenges that like if 
if you were to look at the start of the project and say, oh, it's going to have this challenge, it's going to have that challenge, let's not do it, you'd, you'd just never do anything. Um, so I think for us, it's kind of nice, or for me anyway, it's nice to be a little bit naive sometimes and just throw yourself into the project and then figure out the problems as, as you go along. And and we then there were problems. We, you know, there's so much of this story that's going through the courts at the moment that, you know, that's suppressed details or that couldn't, that we couldn't show or talk about because of uh, a risk of contempt of court or, or stuff like that. And, um, which is a shame because, you know, the story is bigger than what, what we can show. But, uh, I guess our intent at the start was never to, show the entire thing because it's just it's too big for a film for one film but at least just you know start start the story start asking questions and then and then see what comes of it yeah but all all through it you know we had to it was heaps in the edit the post-production process was was very lengthy going back and forwards a little bit with you know we had different scenes in at different times and sort of saying, ah, oh, actually we can't show that. And then, of course, it's a house of cards and as soon as you take one scene out, suddenly everything further down the line isn't working as well and so you need to need to re-edit a little bit. So it was, yeah, it was, um, it was definitely challenging. The rewarding. I will, I will throw in that, that, you know, the reaction to the film, particularly journalists here. I think we were really spurred on by, by some of the journalists who have covered the story for a lot longer than we have. And, you know, the reaction to the Leavis Support Trust team and all the all the ex-Leavis. And I hope all the people that live inside Doraval will be able to see the film at some point because hearing John, Virginia and Sharon's story is, is, is heartbreaking and I think a lot of them have gone through the same thing. Yeah, that's right. What are the, what are the key messages that you hope audiences are going to take away from this documentary? Uh, I, I think film definitely goes to some dark places, but I think at the end of the day it's, it's quite a hopeful film and we wanted that to be a part of it. Like I'd I'm not interested in watching total doom and gloom stories and I always like to be a little bit op- optimistic and think that there is hope and stuff. So so we did there is there is a hopeful aspect to the film and um yeah I, I just I think the the main thing we wanted audiences to do was just to start well one was to raise raise awareness about what was going on in inside Gloria Vale but also generally just make people question what sort of um you know uh what sort of power structures they might be living in or or like it was funny all all through it seeing how gloria val operates you know when you break it down they're just a large-scale organization like any other kind of organization sort of dodging tax and um you know, taking advantage of workers and all this sorts of stuff. So it's um, it's just its own little microcosm wrapped up in in religion, of course. Yeah. So I'd I don't know. I I don't know if there's any one thing that we wanted or that I wanted audiences to take away. I think there's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack, and um, 
maybe definitely to be wary of high control, high thought control groups like this. Yeah, I just want to add that I guess as the New Zealand, you know, filmmaker, having a, having something that people can talk to, you know, something that people can reference and, and talk to these so-called allegations that the plaintiffs are raising and what Noel just touched on in terms of tax dodging, <clears throat> you know, employment law breaches, and all of those elements that make Gorovel quite a powerful, successful, wealthy organisation, well, they're, they're living under the same laws as we are. So why can't we have that conversation? Why can't we scrutinise why they receive so many donations and tax-free benefits that other religious groups get? So, yeah, I mean, if we've already started to see the conversation and it's happening in the media with this employment case. So once the reserve judgment's out in the new year, I'm sure there'll be a, a pretty loud voice to what the government should and shouldn't be doing in regards to Gorivale. It is It is really inspiring to watch as well from my perspective as someone who looks into a number of different uh, high-control coercive groups like this to see the members, you know, standing up and having a team like that behind them, the legal team and the human rights team who are really fighting hard for their rights because so many people come out of these groups and they have no recourse. They go to the police and it seems that no crime has been committed and the general attitude is you chose to be there, you could have left if you wanted to. And so I definitely find it incredibly inspiring. So it's really really great to see on that front. But I guess it's also (laughs) there were a couple of times people said that this is the stuff that the government should have been doing a long time ago and there were so many inquiries into this organisation and nothing came of it. So do you think it just takes that core group of passionate lawyers and human rights advocates to make something actually come of something like this? Yeah, I I think it's a a mix of things. You almost need a, a perfect storm. Like it definitely needs the squeaky wheel human rights advocates sort of fighting for it, constantly talking about it. But then you're, you know, and then you need the the smart legal minds who can piece together a strategy that's actually going to be effective because um, that was one of the, what was interesting for me watching the legal process unfold of like, you know, our legal team that we follow was that it's, it's, they were so strategic with their whole approach and they said, okay, well, we can't attack them on religion because that gets us into murky territory. And then so they, you know, they go via these other avenues that are going to get a quicker path to some sort of change. And it might not be the long-term human rights big change, but it'll be at least, you know, a change of leadership or like attacking through the employment courts, attacking the... um, you know their their hip pocket, trying to go after the the dollar and and then get some change for the workers inside. So it's it's really fascinating seeing that, and and then just also the the length of time and the media, the amount of attention that's on this now. All of it, I think, just helps to pressure governing bodies and whatnot to sit up and say, okay, well, maybe we need enough people are shouting about this now, and we need to do something or else we'll be booted out. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing to have documented in this way as well. And the film, it really 
centers the the victims in this in this case and I just I and it's such a beautiful location as well beautiful and sometimes dark but I think visually it's it's fantastic and you know I'm, I'm I would recommend that everyone definitely go see this documentary it's going to be out in Australian cinemas soon is there an international release that overseas listeners can watch out for yeah I think we're still working on that plan you know Noel and I kind of made the decision around May to try and you know get the film into the winter film festival circuit in, in New Zealand and Australia. So we've sort of spent a lot of time, a lot of overtime making that happen. And yeah, after these four Australian film festivals in Adelaide, uh, Brisbane, Byron Bay, and what else am I missing now? Maybe Cinefest Oz was previous. So, oh, yeah, um, yeah. so after these four film festival screenings, you know, we'll, we'll be able to kind of look at the international, you know, festival circuit as well as, you know, potential distribution or stream streaming service deals. But, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the American high control group, um, yeah, very similar. So there's definitely an inbuilt audience over in the States. Uh, if we can, you know, reach out to those, those leaders over there, already started to get lots of messages asking when the film will be out in america but um yeah happy to present the film to australian audiences over the next sort of four weeks and then make a plan for releasing around the world the rest of next 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 year yeah well fantastic i'm sure everyone can look forward to seeing it but australian audiences i will thoroughly recommend it to everyone to to take a watch and is there anything else you'd you'd like to to mention to listeners? Oh, I'd just like to say that it, the cinema release will be probably be quite short. So if, if listeners did want to see it, make sure they see it on that opening weekend, uh, November 3rd. And, um, yeah, or, or if it's not playing at your local cinema, you know, ask them why not. <laughs> uh, hit them up and then hopefully they can put on a screening. Uh, but, yeah, we're, I'm just so happy to, to finally be getting the film out to show Australian audiences. I think they'll, you know, just like I was, I, I think it'll be quite quite shocking to know that uh, a place like Gloryville exists so close to home. Yeah, and further to that, I mean, Noel and I will be travelling around all the major eastern board cities as well as Perth, but come along, say hi, um, chat to us after the film as well as, you know, we've got a message there from the Gloria Valley Support Trust. So, you know, they do amazing work and they're a charitable trust, non-profit, and, you know, the money that, that's donated to that charity goes straight to the um, resettling and, and legal fees that, that have been incurred for a long time. And we talked before the show about how amazing Liz Gregory is and, and the team at the Lever Support Trust and they need all the help they can get because this trial... It's just been extended for another sort of three months. So there's accommodation, food, legal fees that that need to be paid. So, yeah, the film's got a strong message. Yeah, you can absolutely support those court cases through the Gloria Vale Leavers Support Trust, and I will pop the link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Fergus and Noel, for making the time to chat to me today. I really appreciate it, and it's it's great to see the film and I can't wait for Australian audiences to see it too. No worries. Thanks for having us. 
Gloria Vale is out in Australian cinemas from the 3rd of November, at Adelaide Film Festival from the 22nd of October, and you can find your nearest screening at gloriavale.com slash screenings. You can access early and ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon, patreon.com slash ltaspod, or with a one-off donation or merch purchase. You can also grab a copy of my book, Do As I Say, How Cults Control, Why We Join Them, and What They Teach Us About Bullying, Abuse, and Coercion. The link's in the show notes. This episode of Let's Talk About Sex was written and produced by me, Sarah Steele. Music was by Joe Gould. A very special thanks to Noel Smith and Fergus Grady for speaking with me. Information sources are listed on the episode page at ltaspod.com. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult or would like to support those who have been, you can find support or donate to cult information and family support if you're in Australia via cifs.org.au and you can find resources outside of Australia at icsahome.com. Thanks again to Audio-Technica, presenting partner for Season 5 of Let's Talk About Sects. If you're in the market for some top-quality audio equipment, use promo code LTAS10 at audio-technica.com on their Australian store to get a discount and support this show. Their range of headphones and turntables is quite ridiculous, and don't get me started on their mics. Audio-Technica, celebrating 60 years of listening. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult or would like to support those who have been, you can find support or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via cifs.org.au and you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via icsahome.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at iasp.info. Thanks for joining me and hope to catch you again next episode.